Welcome to the Student of the Game podcast, where I sit down with successful entrepreneurs to extract the knowledge you need to increase your income and avoid simple mistakes. You learn from their failures so you don't have to go through the same thing. I hope that you find one thing that can change your life in this episode. Thank you for listening. Hey, thanks for tuning in. This is Tim Stone. I'm here with our special guest today, Dirk Vanderveld. Dirk, thank you for being here. You build apartments, which is super exciting to me. I want to learn how to build apartments. So I appreciate you being here, man. Yeah, thanks, Tim. Really glad to be here. Well, uh, where, where are you located again? You're in yeah. Oregon? Yeah, we're Bend, Oregon. Beautiful Bend, Oregon. Bend, Oregon. Okay. And you build mid-sized multifamily, which is what I really like to buy. So I, I'm, I'm curious how you got into that. Yeah. So, you know, just taking you back into just personal history. So grew up in the Netherlands. My mom was a school teacher. My dad was a professional golfer. And um, then my dad. Pro, pro golfer? Yeah, pro golfer. Pro golfer. Okay. So Is it someone, someone we might know of? His name's Chris Vanderveld. Okay. You know, he had a really good career. Yeah. He uh, had a stint there. Where he was the best player in the Netherlands for a couple of years. So, you know, he's uh, he's a huge dreamer. Like I had to have him as a role model was a, a huge huge thing right he didn't start golf until he was 19 and went pro yeah he decided to go okay. pro the fanatic right a big i, dreamer. I didn't start go- golf until 19 and i shoot 118 on average so <laughs> you and i are the same you and yeah I are the same. yeah no he's a, a huge dreamer so i grew up with you know my mom being a school teacher and him being a professional golfer and and then one day their dream was to to, re- to build a resort, to run a, a golf course. That was really one of his dreams. So we moved over to to uh, Bend, Oregon, Central Oregon. We were living in Sisters in 2005. And step by step, they ended up building a resort, became the number one resort in Oregon. And so I was hugely blessed to be able to see, you know, a school teacher and a professional golfer go after these huge dreams, what it takes to execute on those dreams and then you know bring them to life so that was really my foot in the door into the real estate game it gave me a built-in infrastructure to be able to you know see what it takes to develop and about two years ago we decided to start our own company boom boom so did you grow up kind of helping them run the resort or how old were you when that became a thing yeah yeah so i grew up doing originally i thought i wanted to one day run the resort right it was like hey Mm -hmm. i'm I'm going to do every single job here because one day I want to run the resort. So I did everything from rake the bunkers, wash the golf carts, do the dishes, run events. So we, I got to touch everything. Um, I did pretty much every job we had here. And then as I, just as I grew up, you know, my first passion was I wanted to be a professional soccer player, had a decent soccer career, um, played division one soccer, but the reality of it was I was never going to really be, I was never good enough to make it to the big leagues. I was never going to play in the MLS or anywhere overseas. And so, you know, then finished that career and had to start trying to figure out what to do next. Did come and work at Tethero for a little bit, which is the name of the resort and just decided I wanted to do my own thing. You know, I was, I had bigger dreams than just Tethero. So. Yeah. So uh, I I had a, a little bit of a similar story. My parents had a vacation rental management company. So it wasn't a resort, but it was a bunch of cabins all in the same town that they managed for other people. And that was my thing. It's like I grew up in it. Like my mom managed all the housekeepers. I go with her and, you know, we grew up cleaning houses and, and, and taking care of maintenance stuff. So I always thought I was just going to take over the business one day and then didn't. My dad ended up selling the company. But, um, yeah, very, very similar story. That's what got me interested in real estate was just seeing that. And then as he grew the business, he was able to buy some properties, short-term rentals that completely changed his life, more than doubled his income on, the, on his first deal. Yeah. So uh, that being the right age was kind of why I asked that question because I was about 14, 15 when the investing part actually started to uh, happen and, and, and change our lives. So that was old enough to understand it be interested in it and kind of observe what was going on there um but that's cool so uh pursued soccer uh and ended up you know realizing that uh you're gonna have to go a different way and then you what what did you do before you started this company or did you go straight into starting this company yeah no no so before that i was just trying to accumulate as much knowledge as possible right i I knew i always wanted to start my own thing i just i have an entrepreneur mindset it's really hard for me to you know i like it sounds bad, but I just I don't like to be told what to do. I've always wanted to create my own thing. Mm. And so, you know, I went and just tried to get as much experience as I could. Right out of college, I moved over to Connecticut. I worked for a startup there. It was actually in weight loss, just what really wasn't my uh. thing. 
really wasn't my thing. Um, was in Connecticut, really liked it, but realized, hey, I want to come back, come back to Bend, Oregon, get my foot in the door in the real estate game, and then just work my way up. So I, I gained a lot of experience working on projects. Then I went and worked for my aunt and uncle, gained a lot more experience there. And then it was really when my first son was born that I had a big perspective change. I was like, hey, I, I really need to try to create something for my family, right? It was, that was really the perspective change mm. that pushed me to say, hey, what kind of company could I actually create? And then I just took the skills that we had been compiling, right? The experience that we had compiled, which was really in the construction side of the business and, and decided to pull the trigger. Gotcha. So your aunt and uncle, they had a construction company? Yeah, they had, well, they, they're yeah. also in real estate. So they had a construction and property management company as well. Okay. So, yeah. so you got some experience there. I, okay. I was having a conversation with someone else on my podcast about um, you know, every, every entrepreneur, when you ask them what their why is, it's always you know, my family or my kids. And that's super important, but I don't have any kids. And it's like, what, what, what changed right when you have a kid? Cause it's like, I, I say that, that, that like one of the things is I want to leave generational wealth to my family, a family well-equipped to make good use of it, but I don't have any kids. So how much more real does it come once you do have a kid? What, what changed? Yeah, there's this undescribable love that just shows up it's it's really difficult to describe once you do have a kid you'll you'll understand you'll be like oh it, it's like an aha moment right yeah. we're all it's this instant perspective change where you feel this crazy insane unfelt love for the future and then all of a sudden now rather than being just in your own mindset right where all you have to do is think about yourself and maybe your girlfriend or your wife now all of a sudden you're you just start thinking about okay how do i actually plan a future for somebody like this right i wanted like it starts with the basic needs bring food bring food and shelter to the table and then it evolves to okay how do i create something that maybe one day these boys because now i have two boys these boys Mm. could enjoy themselves right they don't have to they don't have to but i do want to be able to give them an opportunity give them a platform and a company that uh that they could one day grow into so i would say it's to answer the question directly it's a massive perspective change you also all of a sudden understand your parents way more it's mm-hmm. it's a it's a really uh big milestone in life if you do have the blessing of having a child so I, you're gonna see it i don't know if you want kids but if you do you will you'll be like oh boom that's an uh, it's really hard to describe but you can feel it it's a feeling yeah it's almost like the clock is ticking now <laughs> the like, like it's it's the idea of having a family too well, now i have a family and like you know 18 years is going to go by quick <laughs> yeah. Oh, oh yeah yeah i remember like i don't know if you went to college or not but everyone in for I a went- little bit yeah, I played soccer in college and everyone's like freshman year. Everyone's like, hey, enjoy it. It's going to go by quick. I was like, what are you guys talking about? I got four years. You guys are crazy. Four years, you know, and then as soon as it does end, you're like, whoa, that was quick. So, yeah, it's a it's definitely a, a ticking time bomb is what it feels like. Hmm. So um, what I'm curious about, because I have only ever dealt with existing multifamily is construction. What, yeah. what is like, what's the process? Like you just find a piece of dirt. Like how, how do you even find a property that you're going to develop? Are you developing other people's projects or you, you find your own build it and sell it to someone or like, what's, what's the strategy? Yeah. So we've got two buckets really. We've got a, an operating business, which acts as a general contractor. We both build for others and we build for ourselves. So we find a piece of land, build for ourselves and just to create more income, more cash flow, we also go and build for others because we've got a good infrastructure. We've got seven employees in that business now, and it's really a it's a good operating business that allows mm-hmm. us to build for the bigger picture, which is to build assets for the family, right? That's the bigger picture. That's the goal. That's what we're going after. And to really from a development side, right, it's like like anything, you just have to learn the blueprint right? Construction, the good thing about construction is it's a step-by-step process. And you don't have to go and learn about each trade. You don't need to be an expert in excavation and concrete or framing, right? Because the guys that you're going to hire, the subcontractors, they're the experts there. So all you have to Mm -hmm. do is learn the blueprint of the business side of building, right? What are the numbers? How do you unlock a piece of land, right? How do you see the potential in a piece of land that others may not see? And that comes from learning the zoning and the code. There's a development code in every city. And if you learn the zoning and the code and you can see what other people can't see yet, then, you know, you can really unlock it. So I think that the construction side, 
it's a step-by-step thing. Like anything, you need to put really good frameworks in place and standard operating procedures to execute on that business. And I think where, where we make a lot of our money and where my time is best spent is going out and finding the deals and putting those together. So, and that's yeah. best done by brokers. I mean, through and through. Best done is like, you know, real estate is a relationship game. I'm sure your deal is how mm-hmm. you found them. It's all based on the relationships you had. Same thing for land. Same yeah, thing. Yeah, almost 100% based on just relationships. So you're you're like the, the general contractor and kind of put together the subs. Do you have someone that does it for you? Or you? I'm sure that like I've heard and I've also dealt with it myself just on renovations, you can pretty quickly go through some bad subs on, yeah. on some projects. Yeah. So how, how did you find really good ones? Or are you still kind of, you know, going through them or do you have a solid team now? Yeah, we like anything, right? We cycle through them, even with our employees that happen too, right? Our first round of employees. And it's always in the mirror, right? It's always like it's mm-hmm. easy to point fingers, but I wasn't good enough yet at identifying exactly what we needed and the talent we needed. So we cycle through the first round of employees. We're cycling through the first round, those subs as well. And now mm-hmm. we've got a really, really strong core. You know, I, I was able to, we're really blessed to be able to bring on some just some people who are super talented who've been in the industry for 25 30 years and they also have then all the relationships right with all the subcontractors as well our lead superintendent um his name's aaron stainer he is just a rock star he came onto the team and anyone that wasn't at the standard of quality we needed they are gone and he's just mm. brought in a, a really, really core, solid group of guys. Our next challenge is we have a really strong core now of subcontractors. Our next challenge is as we scale and create more projects, we need to deepen that roster. So that's what mm. we're working on. Yeah. And are you going to be building in other cities or you kind of just want to stay in one city? Because you mentioned how important it is to know the code and everything. And that's that's a lot of stuff to learn. And it's just, you know, you go 10 miles one direction, it all changes. Yeah. But what's the plan there? Yeah, so we're right now we're building in five different cities in Oregon. We're able to do that. Uh, I feel good about it. Um, but the goal from a, our dream is to go and be in other states. But what we'll do is we'll do that from the development side, meaning we go, we get a piece of land, we bring in the investors, the debt, the banking, the architects, the engineers, and the general contractor who's an expert in that area. So we'll just do it on that side instead of try and go scale the general contracting business, having to go get a contracting license in Idaho and in Washington. We'll just do the, we'll really scale the development yeah. side. So that's that's what we'll do. And then we'll just in Oregon, we'll just start to dominate and we'll become the best midsize multifamily builder in Oregon. Yeah. So because you have the tools in Oregon, you're the team that's building it. But say you want to do a deal in Dallas, Texas, you would just put together the vision and the investment and have someone else build it. Yep. Yeah, we would be the development representative and and just hire a third party GC, which quite honestly, from a scale side is a way better strategy anyways because it's way less liability and it's it's just a, it's a better strategy for scale okay so why um why do you see you should be building them instead of just buying existing Cause that's what i've done I don't, I don't have to learn any of this stuff just look at the numbers buy it you know maybe do some renovations increase the income why would you build it right now yeah there's a couple reasons one it's it's there's forced equity from the beginning, right? So where maybe if you buy an existing building, you've got to go in and you do have to do do the rentals. So you're still in the construction game, right? You have to go and do the rentals to get that forced equity, that equity creation. With the ground up game, there's a lot of built-in equity if you do it right. So you can go and do a project, right? Let's say it costs you on a small scale, not multifamily, but on on a just a single family house that we sell. Let's say it costs us all in, build and land $250,000. We can sell that for $360,000. So there's that $110,000 built in equity. That same thing translates over to the multifamily world. You know, you can go and do a project. It can cost you 19 million and it can be appraised for 23 million. Right away, you've built $4 million of equity into the deal rather than have to go and either buy and hold for three to five years, right? Or do some sort of rent growth on it. Um, so there's there's a lot of potential for built-in equity. Now, there is a huge risk factor as well, right? Mm-hmm. Because you're speculating when you buy existing stuff. The nice thing is you have a trailing 12. You know what's right. happening. You can you do inspections. Yeah, yeah, you, yeah. yeah. Versus in the ground up game, 
you have to really make sure you have an expert that can do pro formas that are actually going to make sense, right? And so that's probably the biggest risk of the ground up game is making sure that you the numbers that you're projecting are conservative and that you can actually hit them and make them happen. Yeah, and you kind of just come up with those numbers based off comparable construction that's been in the area? Yeah, yeah, exactly. So there's three components, three major components to the to that, right? It's one, the construction cost. We do it in the areas. So mm-hmm. we yeah, nobody, you're in the industry. You you know it's normal. Yeah, nobody can mess with us, right? We know it's normal. We can we can create a budget that's extremely conservative. We put contingencies in place and we plan for the worst, right? We always plan for the worst case scenario and that's we run our numbers off worst case scenario. Then the next one is the debt, right? The debt structure is is really important and is actually getting a lot of like people, a lot of developers in trouble right now. I've been hearing mm-hmm. some stories where they're trying to raise more capital now because they started their project. Project took maybe six months longer than they expected, and they didn't think that debt was going to be at 6%, right? When they underwrote it, they mm-hmm. didn't think permanent debt was going to be at 6 7% or high 5%. And so they're now running into some issues. You know, there's ways to mitigate that. What we did is we just fixed our debt up front. So we're yeah. just people were, people were building with variable rates? Yeah. Well, okay. oh, yeah. People are doing <laughs> Okay. They're, they're doing a construction loan and then they're expect what they're expecting. So they're doing a construction loan interest only. And then they're, they're not actually locking in their permanent debt until they get to the projects built. until they get occupied. Cause what they're trying to do is refinance out of that construction loan and, you know, do a cash out refinance. But the problem that they're now having is one, the projects may be taking a little bit longer, but two, the debt. Once you double the debt, right, three to six percent, like everyone says, oh, six percent's not that much when you look at it historically. Sure, yeah. that's but if two. you plan for three, <laughs> it's double. Like, it's double the debt if you, you know, if you plan for three, or even if you thought you were being conservative and planned for five, now you're at six. It just starts killing your cash flow, and then I think what's happening to a lot of them um, is you're getting a your debt to your debt coverage service ratio is just getting crushed because now, you know, your debt just costs more. And so that's where you're seeing, I've been hearing a lot of people trying to come back, syndicators trying to come back and raise more equity to make mm-hmm. the project work. So we'll see what happens there. Yeah. And, and that's a good point because going from five to 6% sounds like a 1% increase, but if you're looking at it, it's really a 20% increase. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. So now, when, exactly. You, when you look at how, why the interest rate, you know, is the way it is. Yeah. Um, yeah. And then just to close this, because I said there was three points. The third one that you're really like needing to predict is rents. The good thing about being in the multifamily ground up game, predicting rents are typically a lot more sticky. Yeah. So you can go and as you know, you can go and run comps. And unlike a house, if you if you're in a neighborhood and somebody decides to fire sell a house, well, now my comps, they go off the last six months. So my comps can drop quickly without my control with rents unless there's a massive oversupply they're pretty darn sticky people are signing a six to 12 month lease mm-hmm. and predict them a little bit better than than uh for sale stuff right and at least for now there's not enough supply so it's, it's not going to move as quickly yeah uh, in the rental market that's one of the big discussions happening here in bend oregon right and in the surrounding areas is when do we hit an oversupply? We saw a massive flip of production. If you looked at the past 10 years, typically 75% of new construction was single family, 25 was multifamily, that completely flipped. So now we've got mm. 75% multifamily being built and 25% single family. So we'll see what, when do we hit that market, you know, the market supply demand yeah. game. We'll see what happens. Yeah, we'll see. Uh, what, what do you think is gonna happen with them adding that much multifamily? And I, I see that happening in a lot of markets, but also I see that the, there's millions of people moving to a bunch of these cities and there's not enough houses. Yeah, I mean, you said it's spot on, right? So what do you think is going to happen? Well, you look, at, you look at the growth and then you say, okay, do we think these growth rates are going to continue? Here in Bend, like to do it simply, it's 100,000 people. It's a population of about 100,000 people. And we're growing, like if you think about right now, we have 1,000 units a thousand multifamily units that are under construction that'll be introduced to the market. And we're growing at much more than a 3% growth rate. 3% mm-hmm. growth rate on 100,000 is 3,000 people, right? right? So in theory, we're still undersupplied. Now we'll see if that happens. There's things that have happened and been in the past in a, like a little destination town. The problem is when the economy starts tanking, 
are the jobs there to support right. and that's big worry in these type of towns is, is a lot of the industry tourism in bend yeah yeah and yeah. it's but it's shifting now we're getting some major companies coming in and then you know the the whole remote work thing is mm -hmm. actually coming a, a real thing here but i still believe that you can't bank on remote work because i still believe you're going to see in the next two three years companies productivity is going to go down as much as people want to say whatever they want to say i'm telling you think about these two factors office is getting smashed right now go to any big city retail and office is just getting smashed so there's for lease signs all over the place there's only one thing that can happen when office gets smashed they're gonna have to bring the price down it's gonna you know their office prices are gonna come way down well guess what's good for offices i believe productivity is getting smashed you can say whatever you want to say but i'm telling you these ceos of these companies in a year or two are going to be like no more you come back home we get this cheap office rent here so you i don't think that that world's going to exist forever am i wrong or right i don't know but i see no. those factors being something that people need to think about because i don't think remote work will always be around i think productivity is going to get smashed and office space is going to be cheap and so the two pair really well together for calling people back to the big cities in the offices yeah i, I think you're right for a lot of industries and probably much larger companies mm -hmm. because some smaller companies have, have been able to scale a little more by yeah. you know cutting out some of those costs but the the large large companies like they're they're gonna have to come back to office and there's people that, like some really really big players in the game that are buying a ton of office right now yeah because the people that own it you know they have situation their their note is coming due they've got super low vacancy and they just need to get it off their books so they're selling offices for nothing and if you're right and, and eventually these companies realize we need to head back into the offices or some of the uh, you know whatever happens with it the guys that bought the offices for next to nothing just because they needed to dump or because someone else needed to dump them yeah. are going to be uh going to be really happy yeah yeah we'll see i think you made a good point right because there is the the overhead cut yeah Everyone I, I think a lot of companies are going to stay, but, the, but it's, it's going to bounce back from where it is because it dropped to nothing and nobody was in the offices for a while. Exactly. I mean, and cutting overhead is a great thing, right? Like we, we're learning that right now is with fast growth, you have to watch your overhead. But I will tell you one thing, you're happy to cut your overhead until your productivity goes to if your productivity starts like really declining, people are going to be like, what's the one factor here? It's because everyone's taking their dogs on seven walks and mm -hmm. cheat coding the way that remote work works. Right. That's like, I yeah. mean, that's my prediction. So yes, yeah, we'll it, it's definitely happening. So I, I was curious about how you're financing the deals. When yes. You're, when you're going to do a construction. Yeah. So two buckets we do for like our spec specs so speculation builds buy a piece of land build a house sell it we do we buy the land in cash and then we do hard money loan to build just like you would do on a fix and flip typically mm -hmm. we buy the land in cash that's our collateral and then we get a hard money loan to go vertical and then on the on all the multifamily, we work with small regional banks and mm -hmm. it's like both loans that we have on the 84 and the 24 are over the 10-year treasury, some sort of spread that you get over the 10-year treasury, depending on, you know, the relationship, the sponsor, and just the the way the deal is underwritten, right? They'll tell you what spread you get over the 10-year treasury. Okay. I'll have you explain that, but back to the first one. So you buy the land, or do they also make you put money down on the hard money, or will they finance 100% of construction? 100% of construction because we collateralize that lot, right? So you buy the lot clear. And then you that you're good to go. You, that the lot is really their collateral against the vertical construction. Okay, and, and usually single family or something small for that. Yeah, I'm doing it. I do it all on single family, and then, and then I'm doing it on uh, fourplex right now, actually as well. Okay. So we'll see. What, I'll let you know how that one goes. Yeah, I, I figured it might be pretty similar, one to four units. Yeah, and yeah. then uh, and anything else, small regional banks. Yeah, small regional banks is what, what we're doing. You know, I know that uh, you can also do big, large banks, but small regional banks who are invested in the community and understand construction, those are the best ones to work with, right? Right, especially where, like, the guy in charge, you can go see him. Yeah. If you're going through Bank of America, like Bank of America, for example, you're not going to go talk to the guy in charge. Yeah. You're yeah. never, like, never in a million years. But if it's, uh, you know, some regional bank, like there's a, 
credit union I've used for a couple of deals. Yeah. You know, you, you could talk to the guy in charge or at least the guy that knows the guy in charge and um, makes make, make, make something happen. Yeah, yeah, it definitely makes a difference. Um, so what, what kind of interest rate are they getting you on those deals? Yeah, so we, we locked we locked one in at 5.35%, mm. locked in for 11 and a half years. So the, what, what we did on that is 18 month construction period, interest only, and then we did permanent debt already locked in, not having to lock in later. Um, so we got uh, that locked in at 5.35. And you know, it's, it's one of those things where you go, hey, we pro forma to 6%, right? And so it's, hey, I'm, we were very happy to be able to do that because, you know, we're, we are, I always mess it up. We're over, we are under promising and overperforming on that situation, right? So if we lock in at 5.35%, that's great because the deal works for us at 6%. At six. Yeah. That, I mean, that sounds like, sounds really good. Yeah. We're, I was like, you should do that deal all day. Yeah. I mean, no, that deal was a, you know, it's a, it was, it was our first large deal that we put together and we're re feeling really blessed. It, it's going to be done with construction in October. You know, from a budget side, we're on budget. We're under our timeline side. We were scheduled to finish in January of 2023. We're going to finish in October of 2023, or excuse me, of 2024. January of 2024, we're going to finish in October of 2023. So we're happy okay. about that component. Now the last question mark is what do we actually get for rents? We were massively conservative and what our property manager thinks we're going to get. If we get those numbers, you know, we'll be, we'll be laughing, but it'll be, you know, we'll see what the reality is in the next three months or so, three to six months. We'll, we'll understand mm -hmm. what, uh, what it is. So yeah, that the debt structure on that was 5.35%. And then the other and deal. When, when was that you locked that in? That would have been March or May of 2022. It okay. sounds like, gotcha. yeah, right in that range is what uh, we'd have to double check that. But that's what that's when I believe we locked that in. You know, right as things things were starting to yeah, climb. That's and pretty they, decent timing. <laughs> yeah, well, things were things. It would if we were two months earlier, it would have been. It would have been better. better. You've been like three, three and a half. <laughs> exactly. But we saw what was coming, right? And so what we did is again working with a small regional bank they're tracking it for us we're tracking and we were just in like this two-week period we were just waiting for the treasury seeing the movements in the treasury and then boom one day treasury drops and we we moved quick right because it was a it was like hey we can lock this right in okay mm -hmm. we're good lock it in boom bang good to go and then the other one we are at 5.8 percent but we underwrote that deal at an eight percent interest rate again we mm. We were underwriting that as we saw things going south, right? And so yeah. then now we tighten up our our conserve. We're even more conservative. We double it, and we want to be really careful about this deal. And so we underwrote that at eight percent. We lock it in at five point eight percent. So again, we're laughing. We're good to go, and we feel we feel good about the debt on that one as well. Yeah, that sounds great. How how does a deal work at eight percent? Like what what? what had to be so good about it for it to make sense still at eight percent i mean we're we we built it in house so our cost per unit was really low we're able to really pack some punches and then our land cost into it were low and so we were from a unit side you know right now those units are they're getting appraised around 225 250 and we're building them for like 178 a unit so we're our, mm. our ability to get into those units was just really low yeah, just the the cost per door. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and, and how many doors are are on each of those deals you got going on right now? Eighty four. Eighty four. Twenty four. Okay. And which one was first? The eighty four unit was first. Yeah, eighty four was first. That's yeah. big for a first one. I, was, I remember <laughs> my wife and I were like, "What's going on?" Like we had to like pinch ourselves at certain times, right? And and so, but it's it's worked out really good, and you know, it's also one of those ones where once it's done we'll be able to take the reality of it and, and the case study of it and use that to really go and as rocket fuel to the next level. Mm. And are you wanting to keep that or are you going to put it on the market and sell it? What's the strategy on this? Asset, yeah, asset accumulation game, right? That's why we're in the new construction side of things. We believe that if we can just continue to accumulate the assets, that's really our target and goal. Now, if somebody comes with a gangbuster offer, right? We'll always do. Take it. Take the money and roll, build another one. <laughs> yeah, but we have to work so hard also to build those, right? And so it's like we're really happy with the the 
asset we believe that if we hold it for if you look at like as you know you hold that thing for 10 years the potential benefits of what it's going to be worth in 10 years versus what we would get if we sold it today are just substantial and again we're in we're long term believe that the u.s is going to become more and more of a renter's nation so the more assets mm -hmm. Emulate the happier we are. Plus, that's why we're in the new construction game because that gives the lifetime of our build just so much longer. Yeah, right. It, it's going to decrease management expenses as a you know once it's operating as a multifamily deal with you know property management and you're trying to push the NOI and that's where the valuation is going to come from. If everything's brand new, in yeah. theory, a lot less things are going to break and have to be replaced. In theory, yeah, in theory, yeah. <laughs> you're probably not going to have to put a new roof on anytime soon if the roof no. was just built. So we got we got warranty we got warranty stuff for that which is good and uh, I'll tell you one thing I didn't stress test well in the performance that we'll see is I didn't expect insurance cost to yep. to skyrocket as much as they did I just I missed that so you know we'll we'll see what happens there but that's the one place I wasn't conservative enough and I would say if you are going to get into the ground up game be conservative and everything but really pay attention to the things that may, might slip through like that slipped through in my mind right insurance i would see maybe we would say think maybe 10 percent increase but we didn't expect a 50 right, right. so it's big so what what happened with the insurance over there because you're you're on the west coast on the east coast it's insane especially the closer you are to the ocean just after all the hurricanes last year i've i've heard stories of people's insurance tripling yeah so mm -hmm. i obviously it had an effect pretty much worldwide on insurance from what i've heard what, what was it like over in oregon yeah, the Oregon's a lot of it's fire based. So everyone's worried about okay. fires. Like if you look outside right now, even it looks like we're in a, a campfire literally every August. We just start getting smoked in. So we got a lot of forest fires that people are concerned about here. Obviously at the Oregon coast, it would be the same thing, right? You got the floodplains. We don't have hurricanes, so there's not not an issue there. But I think that just in general, people people's rates are going up because these insurance companies have been taking hits. So they're yeah. just raising the rates, right? Because if they get hit, all these hits, they have to raise those rates. We're seeing it even on my personal house. We live up in the woods and we are, our insurance on that did double, literally doubled. Mm -hmm. so it has yeah. a big impact, right? If you're, especially when you're, you know, when you're underwriting those deals, as you know, NOI is one of the most important things. So we're working right now on getting final quotes and we'll see what it lands at. But I just, I'm, I'm a little bit frustrated with myself about that one. Mm. Yeah, that's a good, uh, good piece of advice for anyone so would you recommend getting into the construction or, or just kind of buying something someone else is building brand new like would you recommend say i go build the team you know get all the uh contracting license everything and start building my own or would you say just partner with someone and buy brand new it depends on the situation right so it's like do you want to do you have a lot of cash and a lot of investors where you can go and buy brand new and you're not going to get that equity creation that we're talking about right or do you have a passion for being able to you know like seeing a piece of land and building something from the ground up the, the it is a blueprint right like it's like learning mm -hmm. anything um and so i would say if you're hungry and you're ambitious and you don't have a bunch of cash sitting around or the ability to raise a bunch of cash that you know, you can just go home and buy those existing assets because there's a group of people who are buying those existing, just chomping those up, right? So yeah, a lot, a lot of, a lot of yeah. people. Yeah, so a lot of competition there. So for me, I'm like, okay, the skill set to go and get in the ground up. I mean, you don't have to do the general contracting business. You could literally just be the developer, right? Mm -hmm. Which means bringing all the pieces of the puzzle together. That's what I would say. Unless you have a big passion for construction, I would say be the business person and the developer in it right bring the architect bring the engineer learn the blueprint of see like seeing what you need to do on a piece of land and bring the general contractor because one the fees are awesome in the development world and the amount of work that you have to do versus what the general contractor has to do is substantially different so yeah so is it good timing for development uh, because that's kind of what i've heard if you take a piece of dirt and build something on it it's probably going to be worth more than it was when it was dirt Mm -hmm. um, so with things kind of being tricky in the real estate market, um, I've heard some opinions that development is good right now, especially if you can do a, a lot of it in cash, yeah. just because interest rates are crazy. People don't really know what's going to happen, but you take a piece of dirt, turn it into a nice building. It's hard to lose money on that. But what's your opinion on the timing of it? As, as long as you have 
somebody that knows what they're doing and you're not getting in over your head like if you're gonna go and pay too much for the land you're screwed right mm -hmm. so it comes down to making sure you have an expert on your team or you become the expert but for me it's always a good time to buy real estate and build real estate right mm -hmm. it just on the numbers. always good to buy and build yeah, oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Buy, buy land. Yeah, buy and build. But yeah, buy land. We're, we're it, I'm in the ground up game. Like that's my main focus. I got one channel, right? Like mm -hmm. say if an existing building came around and it was a gangbuster deal that we wouldn't do it, but we're not looking for it, right? I got, right. this is my channel. And so I just, I'm like a mile, I go like a mile deep in it. And I'm just trying to strike gold in the buy piece of land and build on it. That's really the, the strategy. So I think it's always a good time. It just depends like, What's the structure? How much cash are you putting in? What's the price of it, right? There's there's a lot of factors. But I think that there's a ton of potential in land. There will always be a ton of potential in land. And it's one of the scarce things in this in this world. So Yeah. Well, what do you look for in a piece of land to make sure it's gonna be a good project? Location is is big. One thing that people when you're doing ground up especially larger projects, sometimes you have to pave the way for a vision. So you're not going to go and get like, literally, <laughs> like you might have to pave a road. Yeah, you have to pave a road. But it's not like if you people are like location, location, location. Yeah, I mean, we're not going to be doing a new ground up project in the middle of downtown because it's all taken, right? So sometimes you have to understand your area really well and then think about where growth will happen some of the best guys i've studied like the guys there's a there's a company here they build about 1500 homes in the pacific northwest a year the father started the company the sons came in and just blown it up and one thing that these guys were doing they were so smart so smart they knew that as central oregon was going to grow that the city would have to you know, grow their urban growth boundary. And so they were buying land, farmland or land just outside the, urban, the city limits. They're buying land, right? And so the dad was doing it because I study all, I studied these guys who own all the land and whatnot. He was buying land back in like, you know, 1990, 1980 for, um, there was one piece that he bought for like $25,000. And today they're building, his son is building a subdivision on it 30 years later because it got annexed into the city, right? Mm -hmm. And so, guys have now not everybody has the luxury of parking cash like that a lot yeah of people 40 work. years ago <laughs> not everybody can go buy land 40 years ago right no yeah so you have to work it work it work it but guess what the son study who's doing the same thing now he mm -hmm. is he is also buying land 40 acre plots 60 acre plots outside of the city limits and just having it sit there again it's a luxury because he's dropping quite a bit of cash and having it sit there but those guys have got the foresight and the vision and so as far as finding a piece of land you know i think you need to be willing to pave the vision sometimes and then it's all about going and learning your local think about your local zoning and local development code as your playbook as the rules to the game in your area if you understand the rules to the game better than other people you're going to be able to unlock a piece of land better than other people. So that would be the two components, I say. Yeah. So the I mean, the location super important and just the the vision of it. But are these deals usually for sale on the market? Broker brings it to you, or do you find a piece of land and you're going to find out who owns it and convince them to sell it? Like what what do you what would you do to pick up a piece of land? A little bit of both. So okay. um, the just talking about the two existing multifamily. Actually, start here. All the single family lots that we build on, mm -hmm. MLS, baby. Pure All MLS. of them. Yeah. Are they mostly in neighborhoods or, you know? Yeah, yeah infill. In okay. Single family ones, like the ones that are just single family lots, they're usually infill lots in neighborhoods, right? So it's like a lot that nobody's built on, a lot that, you know, somebody's owned for a long time and now they need to create some cash, a lot that somebody just inherited. That's in existing neighborhoods, that's typically, if you're just going to do like onesie twosies, that's what you're going to find, right? Subdivisions is a different story when you buy a big piece of land and build a whole subdivision, but your onesie twosies, existing neighborhood, every single one we've bought, I'm trying to think if there's any, no, every single one we've bought has been just on the MLS, act quick because we know the numbers. And then, hmm. and so then, in, infill is just like, uh, I, I've heard the term, but I'm not familiar. Is that just it's in a neighborhood? undeveloped yeah i think that like official term would be in like a downtown area if you have like townhomes together there's like an infill lot i think that might be like the actual official term but i call like infill mm -hmm. be you have a 
seven there's a cul-de-sac seven houses and a lot there's a lot right there makes sense not attached or anything but yeah that's that's what we go with but easy to underwrite there's good comps you know exactly six seven houses right there yep yeah and oh the another one you can do is like we're buying two lots right now where we're buying them in a subdivision a developer put a subdivision in and then different builders come in buy the lots and build same idea right good comps it's existing Mm. it's it's run nicely that that works too so it can be in a new subdivision that a developer is selling lots to that works just as well but then on the other two deals one was an off market so relationship game right um it was uh one of my best friends he's a great realtor and this gentleman who bought the property it would they go to church together they started talking rest is history right so and then the other one was mls move quick saw the property come listed i knew the area right you know if you know the areas and the zoning then you can go quick boom boom you can act quick on it so got listed and then we were able to very quickly because we knew the area take the team hey what can we fit on here we can fit 24 mm-hmm. units boom bang done yeah because that in my mind that's a very different game because say a quarter acre or a half acre lot in a subdivision that makes sense but but how many acres do you need to build 84 apartments and what else could you build on it you know like like uh your team is where that comes in yeah that's it comes up on the mls you're like what can we do here find the code how many units yeah exactly okay exactly then it goes so it's all densities right so different zoning has you have like r1 r2 r3 r4 r5 residential one two three four five that's all density based right so the 84 units is on three and a half acres it's on the highest density that redmond allows you know it's we got six buildings four four-story buildings and two three-story buildings and so we just max that thing out um, from a density side of it they go like units per acre how many units can you do per acre mm-hmm. and then the other things that like the parking you- <laughs> parking the sewer or yeah yeah, parking, parking is one of the big ones that maybe hamstrings the property because like you have to have, let's say you have to have in Redmond, you have to have two spots per unit plus one overflow. And so that's where you could get hum- hamstrung. You can't always just max out what it says, right? So you can't just be like, oh, this is three acres. I can max out 21 units per acre. That's not usually the reality because you have space for parking, et cetera, et cetera. So yeah, that makes sense. Okay. So yeah, just having the right team and the right connections for the bigger stuff. And then yeah. the smaller deals, like you would just, uh, are you pretty much every day looking for opportunities to come up on the MLS with your realtors and yeah, yeah, exactly. I mean, once you know, templates, like once you know the templates actually to, to be real, I haven't been looking, I haven't been looking at like single family lots really at all right now. I've been really mm-hmm. just- and focused on getting the business operating and running properly, executing on what's in front of us. Um, and then new lots do just come again through brokers and relationships. So I would say one of the big things that I've learned is if you know what you want, just tell everybody. And people, humans are like innately amazing, right? They want to help each other. The right humans. Some some humans are just whatever. We forget about those people who are like the people who have the I want to win and I want you to lose mentality. Whatever. Just get those people out of your life. But most people, most people really do want to just innately help each other. So if you have something you want, like push it out into the universe and it's just the law of attraction. It will come your way. So. Yeah, that, that's a good intro to the social media. So you and I connected because you're trying to do more with social media. What's the goal with that? It's just to let more people know what you're doing and connect with them so that creates more opportunities or you want to help people get into this? Like what's the, what's the strategy there? Yeah. I mean, it's definitely, it's, there's two components to it. I don't even exactly know what it's going to turn out to be, but I can see, and I learned, like I wasn't on social media for six, seven years. I was like, Oh, it's a distraction. This, that focused on other stuff. And then I uh, actually, a good friend of mine, his name's Daniel Kong. He, I met him at a little mastermind and I had to go and um, I had some, I wanted to spend some money on education at the end of the year. I had some tax things I wanted to take care of. So I'm like, Hey, um, what do you recommend? He's like, I'm joining this mastermind wealthy investors. What's called now Ryan Pineda. I was like, Oh yeah. 
yeah, I was like, I don't even know who he is, but I trust Daniel Kong with everything, right? He's my good friend. And so I'm like, okay, I'll just pile the money into that. I'll join that mastermind class, pay 25 grand. And I went like, I think that was like end of the year. And I went to the first event and he's like, if you have a business and you don't have social media, you're an idiot. That was essentially what he said in a very nice yeah. way. In a, in like, but like, how could you not have social media if you have a business? It's free marketing, right? It's free marketing. And if you're not building your personal brand, then you're really not a business owner. You're really not like you're going to get left behind, right? Attention is the new oil. And if you're not building, if you are not trying to build and produce a personal brand, then you're just going to get left behind in the business world. And it just clicked for me. I was like, wow, that's a big aha moment. And so you know, we started in January, we started really trying to execute and push on it and turn it into a business, right? Where I don't, I was like, is this going to take a lot of my time? No, I figured out how to create it into a business, you know, hired a marketing coordinator who helps. And then we have editors who edit the videos. It gets posted, the whole thing. Now we're just starting to get it down. And so the goal is to just connect with as many people as we can, grow as much influence as we can and be able to share everything that we've learned because I think like the best education is real education, real life mm -hmm. education, and we'll see where it leads, right? I, I do have dreams to create a really big momenticized brand, personal brand. Where it goes, we'll see. I think the universe will tell us over time and you know, we're just going to keep trying to connect with as many people as we can. Yeah, the the scale of it can lead to so many opportunities, but even locally, I found it, it, it seems like everybody is... Are you muted? Can you, you hear go. me? Now I lost back. my you're lost back. my sound. I don't know what just happened. You're back. Wow. You're back though. Give me one second. All right, can you hear me? Yeah, I can hear you. Can test, you hear test, me? test. I can hear you. I can't hear you now. Hear me? Can you hear me? I can hear you. You can't hear uh, me? Okay, give me one second. Here we go. It all disconnected. All right, we're good. We're good. You hear me now? I can hear you. Yeah. I don't know what happened. It just disconnected everything, my microphone, and switched to the computer. We'll cut that out. At least you know how to fix it, man. If that happened to me, we would be done. Podcast done. I can't. Yeah. I, have, <laughs> I have some real serious technical difficulties. Okay. Hopefully hopefully the, the team will cut this part out. Even if they don't, it'll be funny. Yeah, it will be funny. So back to what I was saying. It, it seems like so many people are doing social media, building the personal brands and putting out content. But when you really think about how many people it actually is, it's not a ton. Yeah. Or, or people that you know in real life, unless now that you're, you know, you're in these masterminds and everyone's doing it, but people you know in real life and in your market, there's probably not a ton of people in Bend, Oregon, creating content about building mid-sized multifamily. So yeah. you, with the people you know, it just becomes more omnipresent in their mind that that's, you know, that's what Dirk does. You see an opportunity, connect with him. If like watching your story, following along, seeing what you're building, seeing the success, hearing about the failures, like I would, I trust him. I want to invest in this next project. I'll give him money. So at the, at the very least, it'll do that before you have a billion followers, just the people you already know, it's going to help them understand better what you're doing and lead opportunity there. But then of course you can grow, uh, you know, get in front of new audiences, meet new people. And that just builds, it, it, it builds to, to a scale that wasn't really possible before social media. So I, I think it's super important. And I, I was just curious yeah, when I started, I didn't really know why, I don't know why yeah. I'm going to record about uh, the property management stuff I was doing and like the deal we bought. And I wish I did more of it now because, um, when I was 20, we bought a, a 48 unit apartment complex. I did all the management, all the renovations, everything. I made like four minute long videos the, the whole, you know, yeah. through the whole cycle of the deal. Um, but yeah, so the, so, uh, podcast content reels, you said you do really well on Facebook. I love that. Yeah. I mean, it's funny how it just grow, right? It's like, I think what you said there is great because yeah, you're able to stay in front of mind. It's like a, it's the new resume, right? So like if somebody meets mm -hmm. you up, it's the new resume. And so if you want to stay relevant, in my opinion, that's what I saw. I was like, when Ryan Pineda said that, I was like, he's so right. Like, I'm such an idiot. How have I not been doing this for the last six, six to seven years? It's not a distraction. It's actually a huge tool. Now I'll say one thing that uh, it was 
Grant Cardone said it really well. He summed it up well. He's like, people say social media is this, that. He's like, well, are you a producer on social media or are you a consumer? Mm-hmm. Right? That defines the that defines the difference, right? It's like, are you just consuming? Then maybe it is a distraction. If you're sitting at work, instead of producing what you should be producing and you're on social media, yeah, it's a distraction. But if you're producing on social media, connecting, giving, sharing, and learning, mm-hmm. great. Right. And so I think that there's there's that it's today's it's today's personal resume. And then as far as like on Facebook, it's funny how things happen. Right. It's like consistency, like anything, you you got to get a little bit better every day. And Facebook, we had a couple videos We had one video go viral. A couple other ones do pretty good. And all of a sudden you go from like 150 followers to I think we're tracking towards 45,000 followers now. So just quickly stacked and boom, we'll see what happens. Awesome. Yeah. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I loved hearing your story and just the advice because I, I don't know anything about development and I feel like it's the way to go at some point, some point yeah. I want to get into it. So hopefully it was valuable to anyone that's listening. Is there anything you, you kind of want to leave um, that we didn't cover or? or... Yeah. Yeah. I mean, first yeah. I want to thank you for your time, right? It's really cool yeah. to get podcast thanks for bringing me on i really appreciate it you know and thanks to any of the listeners if you guys want to come and follow along what we're doing if you're interested in the ground up game at all you can just find us at the dirk vanderveld across all platforms we do both short form and long form we're getting better and better at our youtube stuff but we'll you'll keep seeing us just try to get a little bit better and um you know i would say the only other thing is if you have big dreams it takes big big action as well so make sure you stay focused on that and take the daily steps to to make your dreams come to life. Awesome. I'm trying to do better at the YouTube stuff as well. I just uh, ordered a bunch of camera equipment, microphone, uh, just came in last night. Nice. So uh, I appreciate the time, Dirk. It, I, it was a very valuable podcast, uh, hopefully entertaining. I was entertained. Uh, anyone that listened this far, I appreciate you, and we will see you on the next one. Thanks. Cool. See you, Tim. Thanks for tuning into the Student of the Game podcast. If you listened all the way to the end, I would love your feedback. The best way to connect with me is to reach out through Instagram. Leaving a thumbs up or a review on whichever platform you're tuning in from will really help this podcast reach more people. So if you found it valuable at all, all I can ask is that you would do that for me. Thanks. Until next time.